0: Hey there, thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. So we are learning together with the Apostle Paul how to pray like the Apostle Paul prayed. His letters are filled with, uh, ooh, that's an annoying sound can you turn me down a little bit or something i like my voice but not that much so we're what we're looking at is we've been looking at how paul writes in every one of his letters he writes the prayers that he prays for these new churches and these new christians everybody's praying that he's praying for and that he's writing these prayers for, they're, all, they're new churches, new Christians. The Gentile Christians in the church have come out of worshiping multiple gods who were very capricious that you could offend very easily. And so prayer to those pagan gods was basically a payment. It was a way of somehow paying uh, off a god who was mad at you or paying a God to be favorable to you. But the, the other side of these new churches is that they were filled with Jewish Christians who had seen God as distant, transcendent, of course, holy, but not as a God who was very personal. And so it tended to be really religious, legalistic, kind of ritualistic prayers that didn't necessarily come from the heart. And so what Paul is teaching as he teaches us to pray is this, is that if you don't know God, your prayers will be ineffectual. But if you don't pray, then your knowledge of God is ineffectual. So as we come to this stage, we've been doing this, this is our sixth week. As we come to this stage of of our journey together of learning, there should be some pretty tough questions that you're asking yourself. And you may continue to ask those questions after the day, but... Two of the ones that I would think would be most impactful is you should be asking, do I know God well enough? And the second one is, have I been praying correctly? And if you want to answer both of those biblically and honestly, the answer is no to both. You do not know God well enough. You do not pray correctly. And and until we get to the place where we humble ourselves and we say, I don't know you well enough and I don't know how to pray correctly we will not grow and our prayers will not be effective see in some ways if you can answer that question no you're in the best place because then you can do like the like the disciples did they saw Jesus preaching they saw Jesus teaching they saw him do miracles they saw him cast out demons But they didn't say teach us to preach. They didn't say teach us how to do miracles. They said teach us to pray. The journey of a disciple of Jesus is a journey of learning how to pray for your entire life. The ones who are in trouble are the ones who already think they know enough. The ones who are in trouble are the ones who already think, well, I already have it all down. I'm correct. That's the ones who are in trouble because... God opposes the proud but he gives grace to those who are saying Lord I want to learn so if your heart is to learn God I want to know you better God I want to pray in the way that your scripture teaches then you're in the right place because here listen listen what Paul said in Romans 8 none of us know how to pray as we ought but he sends his Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness And the Greek there is it's the idea of carrying furniture that's too heavy for you to carry. So the Holy Spirit doesn't push you away and say, quit carrying it. Friends, let go and let God is not really a good biblical idea. The idea is you keep holding on but the Holy Spirit says, I'll take the heavy end. See, if you let go, then it's a let go but if you hold on and say I can't carry this by myself and you invite the Holy Spirit in that's real prayer because the Holy Spirit will say I'm going to take the heavy end for you anybody willing to let the Holy Spirit take the heavy end? you understand right now in this room in your heart right now the Holy Spirit is praying prayers you can't even put words to and our prayers for you so you don't have to invent it, you just have to carry. Are you tracking with me a little bit in this? So as we look at this, then we got to get the same passion that Paul had, and that was to know God well. So here's here's what I want to start off with. You cannot have an effective prayer life if the God you're praying to is not sovereign. If He is not the sovereign God, then He's not God. Because the very nature of God means this. There are no limits to God's rule. This is part of what it means to be God. He is sovereign over the whole world and everything that happens in it. He is never helpless, never frustrated, never at a loss. And in Christ, God's awesome, sovereign providence is the place where we who are believers feel most reverent, most secure, most free. Whenever God acts, He acts in a way that pleases Him. God is never constrained to do a thing He despises. He is never backed into a corner where His only recourse is to do something He hates to do. He does whatever He pleases. At some point, if you're really going to pray to God, he's got to be a God who is sovereign. And part of that means that you begin to recognize that in everything that's going on, he is all-powerful. In everything that's going on, he is all-knowing. In everything that's going on, he is everywhere present. Now, the problem with some people is when they recognize this, they actually stop praying because of His sovereignty. But throughout the Scriptures, God is always revealed as the sovereign God, as the one who rules and does everything by the counsel of His own will. And yet, those same Scriptures that disclose God's character command us to pray, urge us to pray. Well, what does that mean then? Well, it means that His sovereignty is not... An incentive not to pray, but an incentive to pray. But you have to begin to understand what it means to pray and to pray a right to a sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere-present God. All right, so you look a little dumbstruck. So look at your neighbor. Okay, look at your neighbor. All right, I want you to say, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere-present God. Now let's use the hard words, ready? Omnipotent, Omnipotent, omniscient, omniscient, omnipresent. omnipresent. See, you learned some Latin today, great, right? You understand, if every time you go to him, you're not seeing him as that God, then you're not praying to the right God. And what that does is when you're praying, because that God has, has asked you to pray, That God has ordained that you pray. He's appointed your prayers as the way He wants to rule the world. So what it does is it begins to help you get rid of stupid prayers, preposterous prayers, and begin to say, what is it He's called me to pray? What is His nature? Give me a guideline to pray. Here's Jesus And Jesus teaches on prayer. And you understand, Jesus teaches that both the religious form of praying and the pagan form of praying will not be heard by God. uh, Both religious forms of praying and pagan forms of praying are basically attempts to get God at your debt, to get God to owe you something. Don't you see how many times I prayed? Don't you see how loud I prayed? Don't you see how emotionally I prayed? You are at my debt. And some of us even have had the audacity to think, because so few people pray, since I pray, you must have to answer me. And Jesus said, God will never hear such prayers. You understand why? It's because such prayers, religious prayers, pagan prayers, are transactional prayers. It's saying, God, I'm doing business with you. I've prayed so much, you have to give me so many answers. I've prayed with such passion, you have to respond to me as if some kind of business transaction can be made with a sovereign God. You understand, you have to do business with people who need you. He doesn't need you, you need Him. You have nothing He doesn't already have. Anything you have of worth, He gave you. And so if you're going to God as a business transaction to put Him in your debt, Jesus Himself said, you will not be heard. In Matthew 6, 8, He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. You understand? What it's saying here is not only God is sovereign, but God is personal. And anytime you try to do business with God as if He's not personal, you're not even getting a hearing from God. So... I was thinking about this because it can sound like I'm being very blunt here, but the truth is, isn't that true in any relationship? My wife only counts certain conversations as conversations that count. (laughs) I mean, if I'm sitting there talking about football and baseball and all these other things and all my wonderful knowledge of batting averages and win-loss columns, all that, she doesn't think we just had a wonderful date. She thinks that I just wasted her time. And you know what what she sometimes will say when I haven't really focused in on her? You never listen to me. And that's code for you're not focusing on me. You understand? He is a sovereign God, but Jesus reveals He's a person. And if you talk to a person, you have to connect with the person. Now, Jesus does not forbid in any way perseverance He goes against superstitious babbling. If any of you think that by babbling the Lord's Prayer over and over again you're praying, you're not. You're actually doing exactly what Jesus forbade you to do. But, here's what he's trying to get. When you know God's Word, when you know His promises, when you know His heart, then he says persevere until what you have faith in becomes reality. Because the promises of God are yes and amen. There is perseverance, but perseverance is not the same as babbling superstitiously, babbling fearfully. So Jesus is saying he's a sovereign God, but he's also very personal. So what happens then, if I understand this nature of God as omnipotent, omnipresent, as omniscient, if I understand that, but I understand I'm talking to a person, then what happens is I bring my conversation, I bring my words, I bring my requests in line with what He has revealed about Himself. And I begin to know His heart, and I know His will. And I begin to pray His will. This is the way Jesus prayed. I love this story because it really shows us how to pray to a sovereign God. Jesus, He's about to go to the cross and He says in John 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that Your Son may glorify You. Man, this is an important statement by Jesus. The the hour of His death is appointed by the Father. Nothing's going to change that. And the Father has purposed that He will glorify His Son in His obedience to the cross. And He will return Jesus to the glory He knew before the foundation of the world. And He'll give Him a name which is above every name. Do you understand? Jesus is praying with full acknowledgement of the sovereign will of His Father. But He doesn't just say, Your will be done. Come on, you got to hear me. You come to my hospital bed, and I'm sick, and you say, God, I pray if it be Your will that Mike is well. I'm going to get out of my deathbed and beat you up. <laughs> you understand, Jesus knows the will of God. But He doesn't just go, if it be Your will, let me be glorified. You understand, we have a lazy spirituality we have an unwillingness to go to God and say, what is your will? What is your heart for this? What are your promises? What do I need to know in order to pray aright right for this situation? Because the promise of God is if you pray in accordance with His will, He will do it. He will do it, but you need to know His will. And you may say to me, you, Mike, you're being mean. No, I'm not. Why waste your breath? If you come in and you say, if it be your will, Father, let Mike get well. That's a stupid prayer. Because you already know if it's His will, I'll get well. So why even pray that? Why pray that? Because you can go to the Father and you can look in the Scriptures and you say, what's the Father's will, will about healing? Well, do you know one of His names? Jehovah Rapha? I am the Lord, your healer. Could that possibly influence your prayer? I am the Lord who heals you. Do do you know anything about the cross and where it said, by His stripes we are healed in Isaiah 53? And then Jesus Himself said that He took our infirmities to the cross. Is it possible that that might guide your thinking when you're praying for someone? Isn't it possible that God wants to use you as an instrument of healing, but you've got to know His Word and His will in order to appeal to God in His sovereignty, but to appeal to Him as a person? We do a lot of lazy praying. And we do a lot of faithless praying. Again, Knowledge of God without prayer is ineffectual, but prayer without knowledge of God is equally ineffectual. Look at what Jesus... Are you tracking with me in this? What Jesus does, He isn't silent. He knows the will of God, but He doesn't keep silent. He doesn't keep it to Himself. He knows the hour has arrived. He knows that this is like a current that He's got in the river, and He's flowing it down this current to His death. But he knows also the Father has willed something more than his death. And he's not silent. And basically, the logic goes like this My Father's appointed hour for the glorification of his Son has arrived. So then, Father, glorify your Son. That's his prayer. This sort of logic, friends, is not unusual in the Scriptures. This is the way we're taught to pray all throughout the Scriptures because God discloses his will. He discloses his character. And when you know his character and his will, then you'll understand his promises and how they apply. Look at with me at one of the best examples. In Daniel chapter 9, we have an incredible example. Here's what was going on in Daniel 9. God had already spoken through Jeremiah that the discipline of the people of Israel, the, the people of Judah, would only last 70 years. They had been wicked, they had been taken off into captivity. The seventy years were up. Daniel knew this promise of God. He knew this, this word of God. And yet it did not put him into any kind of lackadaisical attitude or just passive. He began to pray and he began to intercede because the day of their deliverance was nigh. But he had a role to play. And he began <laughs> he began to pray. Carson, uh, Dr. Carson, whose book has been very helpful to me, he wrote it this way. A fatalist would simply have wiped his or her brow and looked forward to the promised release as soon as the 70 years were up. In other words, just kind of passively accepted it but not Daniel. Daniel is aware that God is not an automaton. He's not a robot. You can't just turn him on and, and, and put the formula in or whatever's going on. He's, neither is he a magic genie that pops out of the bottle at our command. So what we see in Daniel, we see this clarity that God is a person who is sovereign. And because of that, God, God wants to be addressed by his people as a person. So you see, they had not just broken God's laws. They had broken God's heart. They were the people of God who had gone after other gods and sought other gods to be the source of their life. Yes, they had broken the law. Yes, they had disobeyed. But they had broken God's heart. And before they could come back, somebody had to stand up and repent for them. Somebody had to identify his own sins and the sins of his people or else the 70 years would be wasted. I mean, how many times you put your kids in timeout and they're just as bad afterwards <laughs> as they were before, even maybe more defiant. Some kids even like timeout. It only helps if there's been a change. Change. It only matters if there's been repentance. And what, I, what Daniel did is he stepped into the gap. He knew the promise of God that the deliverance was coming, but he also knew the heart of God that repentance needed to be expressed. Because he knew God and because he knew the heart of God, he then took his sins and confessed them. But his sins were nowhere near the sins of the people. And so for a people who could not and would not confess their own sins, Daniel identified as the sinner and repented of the people's sins. Now I'm going to show you another one in a minute. But God was in the Old Testament revealing Christ who would be the mediator for our sins. Who would come and intercede for those who don't even know how to repent and intercede for those who don't even know how to confess. And that's what Daniel did. He prayed the will of God. Listen in Daniel 9. This is very powerful if you're a lover of God. Daniel starts to speak to God and he says, all of Israel has sinned. But he doesn't say, just we have sinned. He says, God, you're the God who keeps covenant And your covenant is a covenant of love. And then he began to appeal to the mercy of God, to the forgiveness of God, even though we've rebelled against you. Then he began to say, God, remember your temple. Remember your sanctuary. You indwelt that place with your Shekinah glory. Now it lays desolate, O God. Forgive, hear, and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay. Okay, so you've got to understand how different this is in most of our prayers. When we're in trouble, we don't think, oh God, your name is at stake. We think my comfort is at stake. Oh God, you know, your temple and your dwelling has been laid desolate. No, we're like, God, this government sucks and you need to change it. You see, we don't pray out of the glory of God. And we don't pray for the honor of the name of God. We pray out of our discomfort. We pray out of our inconvenience. We pray because we're hurting. What Daniel did, yes. Do you think he didn't hurt? Do you think he wasn't longing for the days when he'd be back in his home country with his people? They would no longer be a slave to masters? Yes, all those things were true. But where did he go in his prayer? He went to the glory and the name of God. And when he finished, the exile ended he got his prayer are you hearing me in this he's appealing not to god because his situation was terrible he appeals to god on the integrity of god's name on the sanctity of god's covenant he's saying god this is not what you promised your people and then god's own reputation for mercy and forgiveness I know I'm, I'm, I'm going in depth in this, but you've got to see that this is a pattern throughout Scripture a sovereign God and a personal God. You can't pray aright and not understand to some degree both aspects. So Moses and Amos, like Daniel, were called to be intercessors. But the amazing thing after Moses prayed is there's this word, God relented. That's a pretty amazing word if you're a Bible scholar. Amos prayed and God relented. In other words, what we're starting to see is, what, how is it that the prayers of ordinary people like you and me can change the course of history? And yet that's what it's saying. Now here, you've got to understand it in a, in a very biblical way. I love this aspect. You understand, in the Bible, God shows that He expects you to plead with Him. Now, I'm not talking about begging Him. I'm talking about stating your case with Him, of learning to put together an argument, putting together a way of saying, God, I'm appealing to you. God expects that godly men and women will stand up in the gap for people who won't even pray for themselves. And we'll learn to intercede not on the basis of our discomfort, but on the basis of the glory of God and on the basis of the promises of God and to be able to stand between heaven and earth and say, God, this isn't what you promised. Now Moses was faced with a dilemma. If you read Moses' story, he had to have been one of the greatest leaders who's ever lived. He had the most stubborn people. I mean it was difficult. Every every step they took, they, they, they criticized him. They didn't think he was doing the right thing. It was really difficult. God himself called them stiff-necked people. And so they had sinned against God. They had gone too far. And God said to Moses, Moses, let me just wipe them out and I'll make you a new group of people. Most of us would have said yes to that. <laughs> You have to question Moses' sanity at that point a little bit, maybe. But that's not what he said. You see, he, this is what you've got to see. These people had so sinned against God that God was in his right. He was just to wipe them out. But he ordained and appointed Moses to stand as mediator. Yes, they deserved Justice. Yes, they deserved wrath. But Moses stood between God and his wrath. And he pleaded mercy. You understand? That's Jesus. You and your sin, me and my sin, deserving the wrath of God. Now, all Moses could do was plead on their behalf. Jesus became sin on our behalf. But his action on the cross is intercession. It is making the will of God a part of his experience in such a way that it releases mercy and grace for all of us. I know this is deep, but please, friends, when you pray, it's not a little thing. It's not a little thing. I mean, if my wife gets mad when I don't even talk to her correctly... You're talking to the sovereign personal God of the universe who is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. And now I lay me down to sleep is not really a good prayer. Are you tracking with me? You know what Moses was able to do? Yes, the situation was real. The sin was real. But he pointed God back. And he said, do you remember the covenant you made with Abraham? Don't forget it. From that covenant, show mercy. See, some of it is the more that you understand God and how God has dealt with his people and his words and his promises, then even though the situation may be difficult, you can point back. For me, this was very personal when I found out that Lisa had cancer. My first experience was immediately to go to God to get in His presence and to begin to pour out how much I was shocked by it, how surprised I was by it, how much it hurt, how much fear I had that I might lose her. All those things because, you see, God wants you to be honest. Even before you intercede, you've got to deal with your own heart. Daniel dealt with his own sins before he stood for the sins of the people. So I had to get get all of that out. It was so shocking. I felt like I'd been punched in the stomach and all my air had gone out of me. But then, you see, I began to go after the character of God for the sake of my wife. And many of you prayed and your prayers were so important. And they helped me and they strengthened me. But some of it I felt like I was appointed as her husband to stand as an intercessor for her. And what I did is I simply went back to who are you God? You're you're Jehovah Rapha. You're the Lord my healer. What are your promises of God? You know and I began to just plead the promises of God and the covenant of God and even talk to God about you know fullness of life fullness of days in her life and then from that began to pray over her body and tell the cancer to go and do other things like that you see I'm trying to get you to realize we're living in the most tumultuous tumultuous year most of us have ever lived in. 2020, none of us will ever be the same after this year. I mean we we know what it is now to have a pandemic all around us and in our homes and in our church and all kinds of places. We've seen racial and social injustice. We've seen political instability, social instability like I've never seen before, and we don't know what's going to happen next. But he's ordained you to intercede. He's ordained you to know his heart. And He's ordained you to stand between heaven and earth and be a mediator of mercy and grace. Be a mediator of freedom and peace. To be a mediator of equality and justice. He's sovereign. He's personal. But He's ordained you just like He ordained Moses. And in that limited sense that you begin to realize... I can know his will, I can pray his will, then your prayer begins to change things. Now, we are never in that place where in some way we've taken God by surprise. Oh, I never thought of that, God says. No. (laughs) He's heard all the stupid things that all the humans have ever thought. And you cannot browbeat him into something he has never planned. But you get to have this amazing part of a mystery, the mystery of the very nature of God, that this God presents himself to us personal so that we can pray to him, we can argue with him, we can present reasons to intercede with him. Are you still with me a little bit? So let me, let me give you a text that we're going to look at of prayer for this week. It's little, I know. I'm going to test your eyesight. If your eyes can't see it, be healed in Jesus' name. (laughs) So let's look at this. Would you read it out loud with me? We have to kind of travel quickly here. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fulfills everything in every way so in this chapter chapter one and where he ends up praying this prayer he has been outlining the sovereignty of God he has especially been outlining and and making revealed to you how much God has invested in saving you and so the fact that God has done so much to bring you in right relationship with God and to make you intimate with God becomes a reason that Paul prays. He prays like Daniel. He prays like Moses, like Amos here for the Ephesian Christians. So here's, here's where I'd like you to focus. And I'd like you to say it with me. Sovereign and personal. Say it one more time. Sovereign, sovereign. and personal. So because he is both those at the same time, Paul speaks to this sovereign personal God and begins to give thanks for the grace that he sees in the lives of the believers. See, one of the issues that you and I have to have is we have to understand the role of prayer and the role of faith in your life. Your faith nor your prayer are ever the cause of anything. They are the means to great things. You see, a farmer can't make uh, a harvest without a seed apart from himself. When you pray, your prayer is the farmer planting the seed. Your prayer is not the seed. Your prayer has to be the word of God, the will of God, the promise of God. That's the seed that goes into the ground and brings increase. Not your prayer, but what you're praying. Another way to look at it is this. Your prayer is a vessel, a jug that goes and to the well, goes to the fountain and draws water from the fountain. The vessel is not the water, but without the vessel, you can't contain the water and you can't water the crops and you can't quench your thirst. But even another way to look at prayer is prayer is a light switch. If you go to Home Depot or Lowe's, there are hundreds of light switches on sale. They're very cheap. But none of them will produce light. You have to connect it to the source and then you have to connect it to the bulb in such a way that when you flip on the switch, you get the power and then the light shines. Your prayers are light switches when they are connected to the promise, when they're connected to the sovereign will of God, when they're connected to His power, then the light shines in your family, your community, and in your own life. I want to finish with this piece. I know I've gone a little longer. I thought I talked faster in this service, actually. (laughs) Do you know what God's holy purposes are for you? They're right here in this prayer. Listen to what he says, that you may know him better. Do you understand when Paul prays something, it means you can't get there on your own. That you have to begin collaborating. You have to begin cooperating with God. But here is what Moses never had. Daniel didn't have this. Paul prays the spirit of wisdom and revelation on us. In other words, indwelling you is all the wisdom of God. Now, it's not you, obviously. It's apart from you, but it's indwelling you. Because the Spirit of Christ has all the wisdom and fullness of God indwelling little, oh, you. And he's saying, he can reveal anything that God knows to you. So that then your prayers and your heart and your focus becomes God-focused. See, the problem for many of us when we pray, we're pain-focused. We're crisis-focused. We're people-focused. And maybe that will reveal some things, but mostly it will reveal depression, discouragement, insecurity, disapproval. But if you start looking at your pain through the spirit of revelation, it'll say, here's the purpose of that pain. Here's what I'm going to do with that. When you look through the spirit of revelation and you say, this world's a mess and the spirit says, yes, but look where my grace is showing up. Look at where my favor is showing up. Look where my power is showing up. He says, go join me there. Because Jesus said, my father is always at work and I too am working. last thing is just this the father of our lord jesus christ lives in glory that's why paul calls him the glorious father he's calling you by prayer to live in the glorious realm of the father all the blessings of the father are now mediated through only jesus christ only through the son therefore the father only hears prayers through the son Just as Daniel mediated for the children of Judah, for the people of Judah, and Moses mediated for the people of Israel, all those were pictures and types of what Jesus would do for you and me. Where Jesus would become the wrath, the sin, and the curse so that you would become the children of the Most High God. And so every blessing that you need, every glory that will help you overcome, it's waiting for you in prayer. Mass Ashley, she'll close us up. Can you track with me today? You might have to listen to it again.
1: This message really uh, struck me today, and it stands out to me because last week, Pastor Mike kind of charged us to uh, increase our capacity to really abound in love. And this week, I feel like there's a charge to really receive a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Because to pray prayers like this really means that we need to know who He is. And the way that we know who He is is by having the Holy Spirit live inside of us. And so if you feel comfortable, I'm gonna ask that you would stand to just open up your hands to receive. If you're watching at home, you can do the same. Just open up your hands to receive. And I just wanna pray for a fresh filling of the spirit of wisdom. We talked last week about how this knowledge isn't just a head knowledge, but it's an experience. So in the name of Jesus, I pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I pray that the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of Jesus would indwell you, that you would be so filled to the top of his presence, that you would begin to know his character, that you would know uh, his wisdom, like you, like you know your family. Not just a head knowledge, but an experience. Father, we wanna know your heart. And so we receive this gift of your presence to know you, to be filled with you, so that we can begin to intercede. And Father, we know by the work of the cross that you now see us as Jesus. And so we know that our prayers are received by you. So we receive this indwelling. We receive the Holy Spirit. And we receive the call to stand in the gap.